Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Liberal Arts Endeavor, a podcast by Michigan State University's College of Arts and Letters. My name's Chris Long, and I'm the Dean of the College of Arts and Letters, and uh, today we have the distinct pleasure of talking with Baranda Montgomery, who is Professor of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology and Microbiology and Molecular Genetics in the Department of Energy Plant Research Laboratory in the College of Natural Science. It's a mouthful. And Baranda also serves as Assistant Provost for uh, Faculty and Academic Staff Development and Research and Scholarship, so she's in the Academic Advancement Network. We also have Emily Bauck, who's a professor uh, in the Department of Counseling, Educational Psychology, and Special Education in the College of Education. And we have the College of Arts and Letters' own Sonia Fritsche, who is a professor of German in the Department of Linguistics and Germanic, Slavic, Asian, and African Languages, and Associate Dean of Personnel Administration and Undergraduate Education in the College of Arts and Letters here at MSU. We have you all have such great long titles that testify <laughs> to the amazing and important work that, that you're all doing. So welcome, everyone, and uh, it's finally warmed up here in East Lansing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Everybody ready for graduation? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's beautiful outside. It's time for graduation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Students are going through final exams, and uh, I think we're all ready. Our College of Arts and Letters graduation is on Sunday. So. They have the chairs out on the lawn, right? Yes. <laughs> That's exactly. a sign of summer. Exactly. <laughs> Leaves are re-emerging on the trees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. even our beautiful, resilient tree yes. is yeah. starting to bud again. Yeah. So that was something that we have been uh, watching carefully. And then during that ice storm a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was very worried that yes. it was going to suffer, but then I called Frank Tulowski, and he came out and gave it the good bill of health and said, no, <laughs> the tree's fine. So, so it was great. Well, we're here today to talk about uh, mentoring more broadly, and it's really an important part of um, this broader endeavor in higher education, but I also think one of the things that we've been focusing a lot on in the College of Arts and Letters is the importance of um, cultivating a culture of care and by um, empowering our faculty to be able to tell a more compelling story about the work that they're doing as well as um, giving them the support they need to to chart their path to intellectual leadership in their in their field. So Sonia, talk, talk a little bit about kind of what we've been doing in the college over the past uh, year and a half or so. Well, I sort of think of it as planting a new tree alongside the resilient tree <laughs> so that we have the, you know, we're, we're making sure that we're um, recognizing the experience of the longtime faculty members and everything that they have contributed to the College of Arts and Letters so far, um, and also recognizing the new vibrancy that uh, of our, our new trees, <laughs> of the, the faculty that um, we have been hiring um, and in order to make them feel like they are being uh, nurtured in their research, in their interests in teaching, um, in their interests with uh, working with students. Um, a lot of this has really um, been focusing on establishing um, across the college equitable, transparent practices, uh, policies um, that range not only from tenure stream faculty to fixed term faculty or academic specialists looking at staff and really recognizing um, what every single person in the college contributes to the mission um, and the vision going into the future. Um, Part of the work that I've been focusing on, particularly too, uh, is on the topic of mentoring and working with chairs. 
um, to establish um, what we're calling the charting your path to intellectual leadership um, that has a number of uh, aspects to it, looking particularly at the annual review process, but then really not um, encouraging people not to just focus on the one year um, horizon that so many people look at because, you know, the raise is based on that, but really thinking about um, a three-year trajectory um, so that you can be thinking about what you're doing in this year and strategically where that will be leading uh, and helping chairs have conversations with faculty and mentors um, have conversations with faculty about those um, three-year plans as you know, one way you can think about it um, and really looking realistically in uh, at issues of work-life balance uh, as part of those so that you really can um, accomplish what you are setting out to do and then yeah. revising it each year. Absolutely. So one of the things that we realized when we started thinking about this is that the the whole mentoring endeavor is an area of scholarship and we needed experts to help us mm -hmm. with this. So we have experts here in, in the room in, with us today. So uh, Emily, maybe you could talk a little bit about your work and, and also the work that you've been doing with Sonia in the college to, to help us move our mentoring processes forward. Sure. I had the privilege to work with um, Sonia in developing a new project within the College of Arts and Letters to bring back um, and emphasize mentoring for both assistant and associate professors and helping to connect those individuals with mentors within the college at the associate and then the full rank. This is something that I was able to also take part in when I was at Purdue University and start a mentoring program in the College of Education there. Um, at Purdue, we did not have a requirement like we do at Michigan State that every department should, in theory, have a mentoring program. And so I worked with my dean at the College of Education at Purdue to create a mentoring program that would particularly support junior faculty and help to retain them and make them feel supported and increase their satisfaction with their, their work and their life at the Purdue University. Yeah, and that that um, so that work at Purdue, then you you have brought you some of your learnings here. One of the things that's been great about um, getting to know you a little bit is that w you know we, we've been really trying to nurture through the AAN Academic Advancement Network, you know, emerging leaders, and so and being able to learn about your work through that program, and then connecting you with with Sonia really provided with an opportunity to to put into practice some of the things that you learned at Purdue. Yes, and I appreciate that opportunity very much. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you. So, so one one of the things that that um, I mean, Sonia was using really eloquent language uh, that brought out the metaphor of growing and growth and and nurturing, and that's the organic metaphor that I always come back to. And one of the of people who champion that and from whom I learned so much in that in that uh, way of thinking is Baranda Montgomery. So Baranda, we're glad to have you here. And one of the things that I um, that I wanted to mention is that in being a formative reviewer of your of your article that you submitted to the Public Philosophy Journal, you um, write in that article, which should be appearing momentarily. Um, is about the first of all the growth mindset mm -hmm. in in terms of thinking about mentoring, but also the analogy that you that you bring forward is the our care of plants and then our care of one another as colleagues and sort of thinking about that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about that? Absolutely. So my real interest in mentoring grew out of my reflecting on the biological organisms that I study. And the idea that we are very aware in the biological sciences that two organisms that are genetically identical put in different environments progress differently. 
And so the aptitude can be the same, but the environment and care that the organism uh, receives really determines what their potential um, is. And so in an academic context, mentoring and leadership are those real entryways into tending and caring for the environment. And often when I bring this to discussion, our human response is that it's very difficult to do. And so then I drop on the fact that humans actually have a beautiful relationship with plants um, that really speaks about the human capacity for recognizing and expecting growth. And so all of us who have plants in our home, the common analogy that I use, if, if the plant's not doing well, or the plant in my office last week, I came back, it was wilted. My first response was, this plant hasn't had water. Hmm. Maybe it got cold while I was gone. You ask many questions about the environment um, and what you can do to change the environment to support the plant's growth. And that really indicates that as humans, we expect that the plant should grow. And we try to mediate the environment to promote its growth. And when that doesn't work, we may come to a conclusion that we are not good caretakers of the plant. But in all of that, at the center of it is an expectation that the plant can grow and that if we pay attention to and apply mediations to the environment, that its growth will be supported. And so in that, most humans have that response. I really believe that that shows a true capacity for, for humans to expect growth. And then I just ask that we use that more broadly in our lives, that we use it with our colleagues, we use it with our students, our neighbors, um, and draw on that natural capacity we have to expect growth. Yeah, I mean, it's been so powerful to um, learn from that approach uh, from you and following the Lessons from Plants mm -hmm. hashtag that, yes. that we've been using. Um, but I also, and I think one of the reasons why it's so potentially transformative for us in the academy is that it cuts against so many of the structures that we, and, and the manners in which we measure success mm -hmm. in the academy. I mean, you go through graduate school and you learn how to be very self-interested. Mm -hmm. And you learn, at least uh, certainly, and it's pr more pronounced in some disciplines maybe than in others, but, but beginning to shift our focus from um, that kind of uh, self-interested, self-directedness to a much more nurturing kind of culture in which we're working together to support one another in our work is at the core of what we're thinking about. And I think we can, we naturally do that with our students, right? So I think we really have to look at the, the care and concern that we treat our students with, and we just model that with our colleagues as well and with the people around us. I think there's also an opportunity, um, and when I work with graduate mm -hmm. students, about how to help them mentor other graduate students mm -hmm. to develop that mm -hmm. idea that it's not just about me, but to develop that idea that part of what it means to exist in higher education is to give back and to mentor mm -hmm. others. So I work actively with my graduate students and, and in the program that mm -hmm. I um, direct to make sure that mentoring is part of what they're expected to do and part of what they're expected to mm -hmm. learn. And I also think I, I look back on how I got to where I am, and I would not be here without at least 15 mentors. Who have, I mean, that's, that's at least, right? Um, and I can point to every single um, instance where they helped me get to the next stage of my life, and I think it's really important for every one of us to look back on and make a list of who those people were so we can think about how we can, going forward, be that person for those people. I think that, you know, when I listen to you here now and also reflect on the conversations I've had with you, Chris, about the culture of care that you're trying to cultivate in the College of Arts and Letters, that at the core, it's really about us recognizing that we want people to be as accountable for how they accomplish their work as for what work they accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so we in the academy often look at what people accomplish, if they brought in dollars, if they've published, if they've had creative activity um, displays. 
But we have to ask the questions, how did you treat your students in the process of producing that work? How did you treat your colleagues? And so I hear that mentoring is one avenue for us to do that. But we have to be willing to say that we're going to encourage people to think deeply and be held accountable for how they accomplish their work. Absolutely. We've been talking a lot about the process being the product mm-hmm. in, in a variety of different ways in the, in the college. And that also means being more public about the process and being more candid with one another as we, as we develop trust in, in developing the process. Uh, one of the things that, um, that you talk about, Baranda, in, in your work is the importance of a density of mentoring relationships, of thickening the network of connections. And I, when, when Sonia was mentioning that she had 15, you know, at least 15 mentors, I mean, the, the challenge that we're, we're having is how do we build a structure that enables a dense network to emerge? Mm-hmm. I think part of it is that we have to really rethink how we position mentors and mentoring in departments. And frequently we think that when we assign someone to serve as a mentor, that they need to attend to a realm of different things. And I think we need to open our mind to the possibility that there may be some people in our units who are great mentors for a specific thing, writing, uh, grant making, and that that person then may just mentor five or six different people around a very specific topic which means that any specific individual then has to have a network of such mentors. But I think frequently when we think about mentoring programs, we assign a person to a mentor or two and expect that one person will cover lots of different areas. And that doesn't have to necessarily be the case for all people. This actually brings up an interesting um, dynamic that I would be interested in hearing you, you, Baranda, and you, Emily, talk about. Because what we, one of the distinctions you you make, Baranda, is between a kind of institutional, top-down mentoring approach that that does have some positive effects in socializing uh, people to the expectations of the institution and the organization. So that versus a more, I would think, I mean, I'm thinking of this in organic terms, but a more bottom-up um, scholar, individual scholar-focused approach that nurtures the um, aspirations, the career aspirations of the scholar, the kind of work that, that Sonia was pointing to about the cultivating a pathway to intellectual leadership, putting a roadmap in place. So I wonder how we think about balancing that, both the institutional dimension and the, and the individual-focused uh, dimension. So I I think about it in terms of um, the institutional mentor, uh, the departmental unit level mentor is necessary. It's good um, because we are in a context and there are expectations. And so there need to be conversations about what those expectations are. And sometimes um, there is a general set of expectations for people at a particular level, academic specialist or assistant professor, but then the institutional mentor has to individualize that for that particular person, what that person's experiences are, strengths, histories, opportunities for growth. And so I think that that is an institutional responsibility to provide such a mentor. Then each person needs a network of mentors that helps them understand this next three years, as you were talking about, Sonia, but also how that fits in their larger career trajectory. And so you need a network of mentors for that. And I've come to understand that that's a huge responsibility for an institution to take on. But I think that where the institution has a responsibility is to provide time and an expectation 
that people will cultivate those networks. So it's not necessarily the college's responsibility to build that network and cultivate it, but to have conversations about the idea that such a network is useful for your career. And although we've provided you this institutional mentor, we'd like to see evidence that you're working on your network. So there's mm -hmm. time and places for that to happen. And so that's kind of my evolving understanding of how that can happen in a place like this, where it would otherwise be overwhelming for the institution to hold responsibility for building a network for everyone, um, but definitely for everyone to have access to that institutional mentor. I think there's also an opportunity to look at what we can do with our graduate students and help them to understand at that level that the idea that they can have a network of mentors. I think it goes back, and at least my experience, working in graduate programs is that people go to that one advisor. They don't, even as a doctoral student, don't really see their committee or see this mentorship as multiple individuals. And I think if we can work to instill this in our doctoral students and they go out to other institutions, they will have the capacity to build those networks. They'll have the capacity to seek out and to um, want to have this um, network. And I don't think that we're necessarily doing, at least in my experience in my college, as good a job as we can to help make sure that we're preparing PhD students to be faculty and not to be doctoral students. Yeah. Um, Brand, I also have really appreciated um, your work uh, on, on in helping people understand how they can create their own mentoring networks, mm -hmm. because I think it is incumbent upon the institution to help introduce people to each other because so that you know that other people <laughs> exist right outside of your own department but I think some of the most important mentors come from other institutions and and through your scholarly societies um, and in your field um, right and so that that's why I've really enjoyed reading um, what you've published on how to create your own mentoring network thank you mm -hmm. yeah it's critical that you look wherever mm -hmm. you find the individual mm -hmm. or resource that can serve the needs so. mm -hmm. I'm glad, Emily, that you're emphasizing also the the grad the moment of graduate or, or the the time during graduate school because we we really you know what are we cultivating during those those years are we, we we are socializing them into a kind of profession into a kind of professional world but I worry so much about the kind of culture that we're establishing in in those programs um, and so as you think about setting the expectation of mentoring, I mean, there's an enormous amount of work that we also have to do with on the faculty side. I mean, faculty, I think, naturally think of the success of their graduate students as part of their own success. Um, but how do we operationalize that in a way that makes that really something that's visible on when it comes to tenure and promotion, when it comes to all of the other, uh, other um, work, uh, ways in which we evaluate the work? And then how do we translate that from graduate students to their junior colleagues? I wish I had the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also just creating that that culture. And I, you know, I, I really like the concept you guys are referring to, the culture of care. I think that the idea of we have to cultivate um, cultures within our departments, within our colleges that emphasize that it's not just about me and that it is about helping others, that you know, what I talk about is we're really only as strong as our weakest link. And so whether it's a program or a department or a college, it is our responsibility to make sure that we can bring everyone up because we're only as strong as everyone is has that strength within 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 our unit. Yeah, and I think we, you know, on the institutional level, are having needed need to think about what are the 
what's the infrastructure we need to provide for that? And I think it's multiple. It's time, as Brenda, as you're mentioning. But then it's also the expectation, the articulated expectation in the salary review process and the RPT process, how, where we're asking, well, how have you nurtured the success of your colleagues in concrete terms? What are the metrics of success for your, the, the people that you've supported in, in your work, whether that be your mentees or um, uh, other, other colleagues that you've supported. You've connected them with uh, writing groups or you've introduced them to, to um, a society that they now have a published piece in or were invited to a conference. I mean, there's all sorts of ways we could tell that story, but we need to begin to surface it. I think that's true, and I think part of it starts with us really defining that for ourselves. Um, and I think um, when I started out here 14 years ago, even now, the focus was on your impact and H index and all of these things. And I remember in about the, my second year, I sat down and defined what I call the B index, mm -hmm. the Miranda index. What are the things that really matter to me? And it's a defined set of questions that each year when I'm writing my annual review, there are these sections that they ask us for, but I write them through the lens of these questions that are important for me and how I want to frame my career. And so then when I'm engaging with graduate students and junior faculty, I say, what are the things that are important to you about your work? How are you planning to accomplish that? And so I think we, the process may be different for each of us, but when we have a process that we have used for ourselves, it gives us at least an inroads of how do you have the conversation of what things were important for me, how did I get access to them, and then asking people what's important to you and how do you plan to get access to that, and how do you use that to tell this, as you say, textured story about how you're progressing through your career. Well, that's one of the reasons we're so glad to have you as part of the Humetrics uh, <laughs> initiative, which we did talk about on this podcast a few weeks ago. Um, because the the vision of that initiative, the Humetrics Initiative, is to empower scholars to identify what they value most and then to begin to think how are you putting those values into concrete practice in your teaching, in your research, in your outreach efforts, in your, you know, committee work in the, your departments. And so then, but then the textured story comes in by giving indicators of what it might look like to be... Um, nurturing the success of a committee with an eye toward our commitment to equity, for example, or to collegiality. What, what might that be? But, I mean, you know, the, the thing that's so powerful about, about your story, Baranda, is that, you know, you, you, you developed the B index. I mean, we need to help everyone learn how to do that. And I think part of it, you know, often we think of coming into a context where you've had no prior exposure to it as an impediment. And I came into academia, no one in my family is in academia. I don't know any academics before I came into it. And so I came into it reflectively, asking how do I want to exist in this space? And I certainly listened to other people, but it was because of that, almost an ignorance about how you would be in this space, I thought I have to sit and think about this and figure it out. Um, and it's always been clear to me that I have to be in this space in a way that honors who I am. Otherwise, it's not worth it for me to be here. And I think that it's not just about that being a selfish perspective, but I truly believe every individual has something unique to offer. And as much as we're able to get them to think about that and bring it to the table, not only are their careers enriched, but the university is enriched by having these diverse inputs and perspectives. You know, and I think in that respect, um, these department mentors who we have here at MSU, 
could be really helping the department out in their conversations with their mentees um, by first of all giving their mentees permission <laughs> to have the the B factor, <laughs> right? To to not just be looking at these standards that are necessary for tenure and promotion and then to get to full, but to really think of what is your own personal trajectory. And then to the mentors can take what they learn in that conversation back to their department, right? And talk to the chair and think about, well, how can we be supporting this faculty member? We have these standards, but they're wanting to do this. How can we have a conversation about how we can um, you know, adapt our standards in our department to let them really flourish while they're here. And if I could just say, I think a lot of times when you think about developing an entire index, that sounds overwhelming. But I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in these annual meetings when you're talking about what someone needs to accomplish to simply ask, how do you want to accomplish that? Right. Yeah. Do you want to accomplish it with graduate students and undergraduates? Do you want to accomplish it through collaboration? But asking even the how question can get people to start to think about what they personally want to bring to that. And as you say, for departments to listen in and ask, how in this context can we enable that in ways that allow them to do it but contribute to the unit? And I'm convinced that that is the secret to retention that doesn't cost as much as the, the method we're using for yeah. retention right now. You're right. I completely agree with you. It, 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 I mean, it, what, but even though it might be um, – it might cost – it might be low cost in terms of financial cost, the emotional um, – commitment and the commitment to being present to each individual member of our community, our scholarly community, in a way that nurtures their success, in the same way that you need to be attentive to, to you know, as you say, the, a plant as it grows and flourishes. What does the soil look like? What is, are we, is there enough water? Is there, what is this plant telling us mm -hmm. about, um, and, and what are our college uh, colleagues telling us about what they need? I mean, so much, and this is going to be a little harsh, but I'm, so much of graduate education is about forgetting yourself, is about losing yourself, right? It's don't do this. Don't, you know, you have to do these sorts of things, right? So how do we, how do we reestablish the commitment to, you know, being true to your deepest core values and who you are and then bringing your scholarship and work to, to, to bear on that so that it enriches not only your life but the life of the, of the university? Well, and I think we also have to remember that the mentors get so much out of these relationships. I go back to the, the plant metaphor, if I may borrow yours, and think about, I mean, why do we enjoy having a plant in our house in the first place? We, we love looking at the results of us tending to it. We love the beauty of it. We love how big it gets and how much it grows, right? And that's what we're really, we're, we're not only being able to see that in our mentees, I think, you know, we're also learning from them as they go. We come up with new, through their ideas, we're seeing new ideas in our own research. I mean, it's the same thing with our graduate students as well, right? And also being careful to give them credit for that, of course. You certainly don't ask easy questions. Sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> small, small matters, but, you know, but I think this is the key, this is the key to, to, to uh, I think, a new, more, enriching and nurturing scholarly community. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I sometimes feel that I have infected the world with lessons from plants, and I don't really <laughs> feel bad about it. No. Right? No, it's very good. I think one of the ones that I often share that really harkens to what you're talking mm -hmm. about, Sonia, is the part of plant life that we don't see, 
You know, we see a lot of things, but plants are often transforming their environments. As I say, the if roots are in soil where there's not enough nutrients, they can change that. They can excrete uh, compounds to make nutrients more available. And I think that's the part we have to focus on, is that when we nurture the graduate students, when we nurture, nurture colleagues, there's potential that they're going to transform the environment in ways that promotes their own growth. But the beauty of it is whatever is released is also available to every other plant. And so I think that by really positioning and expecting and hoping that our colleagues will grow in ways that transform the environment, we don't know where that's going to take us in terms of the real potential of our disciplines and our institutions. And that's the part for me that I'm longing for, to see what our institutions would be if we fully released the potential and motivation of people to do the work that they want to do in ways they want to do it, even as it contributes to the institutional goals. Absolutely. I mean, it, it would be transformative. Absolutely. And and in ways that um, would create an ecosystem that is synergistic yes. and not antagonistic, or at least to the degree that it's antagonistic, it supports the synergies that nurture you know, new ways of knowing, mm-hmm. new ways of thinking, new ways of being together. Um, that, uh, and I think you're exactly right, that that's, that's the key to um, retaining great scholars, great community members, because they want to be here because it is an enriching environment. Mm-hmm. They don't have to fight to do the kind of work they want to do. In fact, we have an infrastructure to support that work. And we have colleagues, we have a, a dense network of mentors ready to help them do that. Um, getting there is is what we're thinking about in terms of what are the structures we need to put in place to help that, recognizing that you put the structures in place and then kind of invite the good work. Um, But there's also a lot of um, openness to the directions, the new directions that's going to take us. Well, this has been a, a really wonderful conversation. I am really grateful for all of you coming on the podcast, but also in particular for all the work that you are, are uh, each doing in your own domain and the work that you're doing with us in the, in the College of Arts and Letters. It's um, really a privilege to be your colleague, and I'm really grateful for the conscientious ways that you are all putting your values into practice in the work that you're, that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Now I got uh, some some things to read here to the end, the official business. A big thank you to everyone involved in the podcast, including our technical producer, Kevin Zulu, and our marketing director, producer, Ryan Kilcoin. And, of course, you can access all of Michigan State University's College of Arts and Letters uh, Liberal Arts Endeavor podcast, season one, and our current season two at go.cal.msu.edu slash podcast. And finally, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any official entities of Michigan State University, although they should. (laughs) Uh, Be sure to tune into our next podcast and look for us on our social media news feeds. Thanks for listening. Go green. Go white. (laughs) 